G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Well, it's the first of its kind global study that has revealed the top three things that are keeping our teenagers up at night. World Vision has partnered with international research organisation Barna Research that's uncovered the fact that Australian teens are unique in their concerns, especially around mental health. The study is designed to help church leaders understand this emerging generation around the world. It's a first-of-its-kind international research study to understand identity, values and the views of teenagers – One big concern, it appears our teenagers are falling behind the rest of the world in how they relate to Jesus Christ. Well, the research is called Open Generation. It includes responses from nearly 25,000 teens aged 13 to 17 across 26 countries. World Vision is about to launch some conference events to unpack the findings of what is called the Open Generation. Well, our special guest through this coming hour, the Reverend Noddy Sharma. He's Head of Community, Faith and Partnerships for World Vision Australia. Noddy, a special welcome along to 2020. Hey, thank you, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's uh, good to be here with you. Noddy, let's start with an overview. Uh, What this study is showing to us, perhaps in a big picture sense. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we've been digging into this for probably the last almost 18 months now, Neil. And um, I don't think there is a whole heap that's really, really surprising. I mean, when we ask those questions and we start to look at it, you know, what do young people think about Jesus? Most of them come back and say, you know, we like Jesus as a historical figure. He's good. But then the real question that, and what the data points to is, is how deep that actually goes. Is it just a historical figure? Uh, is he actually relevant today? What's his voice doing today? Can, can you see it? And that's that's where some of the concern lies. You know, it's uh, he's not seen as, as someone who is speaking to them or in their life every single day. You know, I mean, that next one around Bible, that was, again, interesting, that uh, when you ask that next generation, hey, what do you think of the Bible? The, the drop-off is enormous. And that was really concerning to me. And it ties closely to some other things that we're seeing. I mean, we're reading stats around uh, the fact that even in our education system across Australia, that uh, there is concern around the fact that kids have lost the art of reading. And, I mean, we see that in the, in the way that they consume media. You know, it's in bite-sized pieces. Actually sitting there, going through and reading data or reading a book, reading the Bible, it's it's not uh, linked closely to the way in which they're operating. So you can kind of see that there is a bit of a drop-off there. And then we're seeing social impact go right up. Now, you know, Neil, the thing for me is that I have this uh, funny sense that these three things, the person of Jesus, uh, God's word to humanity, and the impact we have on the world, those three things were never supposed to be disconnected. They're supposed to feed into each other in a really healthy way. So when you ask the question, what does it show us? I I kind of think it's it's a really good invitation back to us as Christian leaders, as the church, to recognize that we have some work to do 
in order to bring these three pieces back together to help people make sense of their worldview and their world perspective. When you've got research at this level, Noddy, uh, some might be tempted to say, well, it's showing us a problem. And even as as you say, uh, some of these things are not a surprise. Uh, Some will want to use these sorts of uh, research findings to beat up on uh, whether it's churches or whether it's parents, uh, whether it's people in children's ministry in their church. But these sorts of studies, actually, they inform us as to where our teenagers are at so that we can regroup and uh, reset the trajectory of the direction that we're going and create new strategies. That's the sort of value you get from this sort of study, isn't it? Absolutely, Neil. And I, I think you're right, even even for ourselves, as we've dug into this and started to look, it's really interesting to notice in your own response to it that almost critical sense that comes in, almost that feeling of thinking, oh, what is going on? But I've been reminded through this process that there's not a generation that's gone by that hasn't had a unique set of challenges that has taken them into a into a difficult zone. And, and the art of this is to be able to recognise that every new era, every new generation has something that will be difficult to try and navigate their way through. And our role, especially as, as, you know, as we get older and we start to look back, our role is to really think to ourselves, how do we create trust? How do we really help someone be the best version of themselves they can be? I mean, in the church, we would call that discipleship, right? And, and, and this is the whole thing, that, that if we really want discipleship to be effective, if we really want people to be unleashed, to find the best version of themselves, to be all that they can be, then our role as people that have gone before, almost like that great cloud of witnesses, is to be able to lean back in in a really meaningful way to help unlock some of these things. So that's not a critical spirit. That's actually seeing this as a valuable tool to do something that is going to create the world to be better. And when we're talking about a study of the scope of this one, uh, sometimes we'll do uh, you know, a segment or two on what young people in Australia are feeling because there's been an extensive Australian-based survey. Interesting with this particular survey is that we've got some context in how we compare with the rest of the world. You've got 25,000 recipients of this uh, survey. They've responded. So you've got a huge amount of data that's coming from all sorts of nations around the world. And you've got the Aussies, the Aussie contingent of those who responded who are in there too. And what it does is gives us an opportunity to compare Aussie teens to others around the world. Again, uh, not to beat up on them, but uh, to give us some insights into where they're at. What are your thoughts about comparing our teenagers with teenagers, say, in America or in the UK or in Europe or, or wherever else the, the survey took, uh, took those recipients from? So, I mean, it's incredibly useful to see this data come out and to kind of, kind of figure out where you sit. But I think there is some interesting things in here, Neil. One of them is, you know, I mean, if you look at the Western world, Yes, there are some differences, but not huge, not massive differences. And then there's some things that I think is unique to Australia. I mean, one of them that is, and when we look at the data, the number one thing keeping our young people up at night is is a concern, a real concern with mental health issues. And, and that's from people experiencing it, but also around young people feeling like they have friends that have been so impacted by it that it actually worries them. And, um, and that's not the norm across the globe. So I think there is a concerning element that I think that is unique to Australia, that we need to think to ourselves, what's actually going on in our culture and our society? 
creating this? And and what have the answers to that is around some things. I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, we might see if this uh, can be resolved uh, or we might pick you up on another uh, way of communicating. But uh, we'll come back in just a few moments. It's an important conversation today. The Reverend Noddy Sharma is our guest. He's Head of Community Faith and Partnerships for World Vision Australia. We're coming back with some more in just a few moments. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Uh, well, disappointing we've had to lose uh, perhaps what is a clearer uh, representation of our special guest. The Reverend Noddy Sharma is with us. He's Head of Community Faith and Partnerships for World Vision. We're talking about a extensive, uh, first-of-its-kind study and an opportunity to compare Australian teenagers uh, around the sorts of concerns they have with the sorts of concerns that others Around, have around the world. Noddy, uh, let's just see if we can pick up from where we're at because I was asking you if you thought that there was some sort of correlation between the thought that there might be a declining way of engaging with Jesus Christ as Lord and the rising mental health challenges that young people do quite obviously appear to have. So uh, any thoughts here? Yeah, thank you, Neil. Hey, I'm so sorry that Skype broke up for us too. Um, yeah, look, I think that there is definitely kind of this link. Like I was saying earlier, if you caught it, just I don't think the person of Jesus and the Word of God to humanity and the impact that we have with our lives was ever supposed to be uncoupled. And so I think they're in large part of the issue. How closely it's related to mental health, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in, and I couldn't tell you. I do have... Um, a real sense that there is this notion that happens in culture where we we find there's a push that's been happening for quite some time, my observation is, that calls our young people to think of themselves as the central narrative piece in their own lives. And I think that is so countercultural to what the gospel tells us of, you know, pick up your cross, follow me, um, to, to die to oneself, to pour out your life for the pursuit of justice, for the pursuit of goodness, and kindness towards others, the least of these. And and I think there is probably the difficulty that we see things. So I, I wonder what happens to our young people when, when they become the most important uh, piece in their life story and their narrative, and then they hold that up against what we constantly bombard them with in terms of what their vision or their future needs to look like in terms of social media, etc. Instead of focusing on what it looks like to live your life pouring it out for the pursuit of justice or goodness for others and how that makes us feel internally, I, I wonder whether there is that correlation that sits in there and, and that the opportunity that exists for us is to be able to try and help young people um, fall in love with this idea of being able to do good in the world. Um, I mean, I, I just think there is something very powerful in there that Jesus modeled for us um, that is around almost this idea of dying to yourself and what that does for us. Well, to draw something like that out, uh, isn't it uh, nice to be able to settle on your thinking you have a focus on where the problem is? Actually getting a resolution to the problem is a bigger question and a bigger uh, focus that you've got to engage in to try and turn that around. But when you're talking about this sort of and look, let me not say this critically, but sort of a self-centeredness, 
that comes from the culture that we are in, uh, where, as you say, uh, the most important piece of the life narrative is what all, what's, what's happening to me and uh, getting a focus off self and onto others. We used to have, Noddy, a Sunday school generation that began to learn uh, the narrative from the scriptures that was all about others, you know, um, dying to self, uh, considering others more important than you are, the golden rule. Uh, do unto others, uh, you know, <laughs> as you would have them do unto you. These sorts of things are lost in a generation, and uh, perhaps these are major, major uh, insights as to what might be happening with Australian youth. Uh, any, any more to add to that? Yeah, you know, I, it's, it's why it's one of the reasons I love World Vision so much. You know that I mean, if you if you think back, Neil, and I mean, obviously, I'm I'm older, right? Um, been around the block a few times, and um, and I think back to my parents. I mean, what they helped us with when we were younger, things like forty hour famine, right? Where you would see some massive problems around the world and feel like you could understand it, you could grow some empathy, grow some heart, and do something about it. And I look at some of the movements today, and I think we we have lost this nationwide conversation that's actually cross-generational and encouraging everyone to kind of lean into this into this space because we know that it's a gift that keeps giving. I mean, there is no purer gift to be able to do something for someone that you may never meet, but you can feel, have a heart for what it may be to be in their shoes. I mean, I look at the the... the Famine that's happening right now. I mean, they're telling us some increasingly difficult things to kind of stomach. That there's more than 50 million people today in our world that are struggling for food. I mean, that's parents needing to decide which ones of their kids are going to eat today. That's uh, you know more than half of that 50 million children. And when I think about that, I think that that is a, a real life problem to solve. And for our young people today, if they were able to lean into that and do something about it and feel like their their life is much greater, much bigger, it could just totally impact the way in which they view themselves, their place in the world, and the power and the agency they have in their hands. I mean, I, I marvel at the fact, honestly, Neil, that what we do is we end up allowing our culture to influence what we do, and everything drives us to look at life through this tiny little screen, which we all carry around in our pockets. That's how we consume stuff. That's how we connect with people. And in actual fact, what it does, I think, is that it makes our life smaller. It pushes it down to only be viewed in a very small window that you get to look at. And I am a firm believer that, in fact, human beings were created to have really large, extraordinary lives. And the way in which you do that is connecting through people. One at a time, your your life gets stretched and molded. And I feel like that is where you can land kind of... Your, your mental health, your well-being in this space of understanding that you're part of a, a much larger force and narrative at play instead of actually constantly delving down to say, oh, no, you are a unique person, which you are, and that's a miracle. But that real miracle doesn't stop there. That real miracle becomes when you bring your unique gifts, talents into a space of connecting with others and allowing them to use theirs as well. And it's at that point where you start to see a force for good that is to be reckoned with. And there, I think, is where that mental health starts to become um, incredibly important to allow that vision to take place. You know, beautiful to reflect on uh, world vision. And for a lot of people, even listening to our conversation now, uh, you say world vision. What do people say? They say 40-hour famine. 
And uh, I remember doing uh, the first time I ever did a 40-hour famine would have been as a teenager. And, you know, I thought I was doing that just for the fun of it, Uh, you know, giving up uh, food. And, yes, I get to eat a little piece of barley sugar, I think it was uh, at the time when I was uh, doing the 40-hour. But I didn't appreciate what was happening in the discipleship sense that I was actually being introduced at that time uh, to a narrative that wasn't all about me, but it was all about others. And just the participation, it's not just sitting someone down with a teacher in front of them and saying, take notes on these important things I'm about to teach you, but it's actually this participation that actually demonstrates that there are others in the world who need us not to be self-centered, but to be self-sacrificing. That's something that no doubt uh, in the 40-hour famine uh, is continues today. I, mean, I haven't heard of the 40-hour famine happening for a little while. I'm sure it does happen each year. D- does it happen each year still? Neil, we have just brought it back, my friend. Okay. So we're, <laughs> we are in the, in the point of saying this is needed. And it's one of the reasons we've looked at it. Is that, is that not only, I mean, has famine actually reared its ugly head again? And, I mean, it's not, it's not something, like you can look at it and go, gee, has it ever gone away? It did go away. It went away significantly. We made a huge dent. Australians, over the last, you know, 40, 50 years, made a huge dent in where that is. But, unfortunately, with the rise of, of COVID, conflict and climate, we've actually seen this this deadly disaster rehold. I mean, if you look at the stats, it's like the first time in 30 years that a famine's been recalled. So we looked at that, and then we looked at the data we're looking at, and we said, you know what, there is no better time to bring this back and help um, Australia fall back in love with this in a way that actually leverages our rich history to do something great again. I mean, I, I think, what does it mean to be Australian, Neil? And, and I mean, being yeah, of... of that generation when we can remember the last kind of three to go by, I mean, the things that float to mind immediately is that we punch above our weight. We go for the underdog. We're like the first responders, like Australians, the first responders when, when disaster happens, a flood happens, a fire happens, there's something happening in the world. We, we even though we're actually small as a nation and we're right on the other side of the world, we lean into some of the world's biggest problems and we have a sit around the table of, of the world's superpowers to be able to speak into that. And I mean, all of that comes from this Aussie battler spirit that's there of being willing to actually lean into community at its finest and lift those that are less fortunate up next to us. And I think that is what creates this beautiful spirit about being Australian. I think today, that the generation we have right now, they need to be reminded of that. They need to be reminded of that's what makes you Australian. It's not that you're going to be marked by having some mental health issues or worried about the economy or or worried about climate. Instead, we want to posture them to be able to say, hey, there's always been issues and Australians have been so good at being able to actually come up through the ranks during that. You have an Australian passport for a reason. You are part of the solution as your generation is going to solve some of the world's biggest problems because you're Australian. I mean, if we can foster that back in there and we can have our voices being heard again and, and unite like that, I feel like the world's our oyster and the sky's the limit. You know, uh, you know, there's there's no uh, specific direction for our conversation. Uh, we are going to come back to some more of these findings, but I feel like this is so important just to explore uh, because a lot of Christians will be saying, uh, I'm a Christian, I go to church on Sunday, but I do wonder why God allows famine. And uh, those sorts of questions often uh, come across, uh, you know, as a Christian leader, you'll find that people ask you, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? 
And we don't often think about what is happening to us as we become resilient in responding to the challenges of those who are in need, whether they be in our backyard or around the world. But it's something like that that helps us to grow mentally strong. Actually, there's something as a, as a solution to some of the mental health challenges if you begin to take your eyes off self and uh, put them onto others who are in need. Am I, uh, I'm just, perhaps I'm rambling a little here, but uh, thoughts on this mental health strength, because some some might be saying, what's the practical thing I can do right now with my teenagers? This might be the way forward. Yeah, and look, uh, let, let me start this <laughs> by reiterating that I'm I'm not a mental health expert, right? And, and I'm making some observations, and I have a real sense that there is something in this. But I, I'd also want to call out to say, it's not it's not a, a secret weapon, I don't think, of, of just taking your eyes off yourself and doing something good. Because if you are struggling from mental health or your teenagers in your family are struggling with mental health, it's not a quick fix. You can't just go, oh, I'm just going to do this and that'll make it all better. I think that, that there is there is two things at play here. One, there is already this issue of mental health that has gripped our nation and our teens, and we need to work really hard at being able to, to heal that and have them come out of it in a really healthy way. Really what I'm calling out is to say the teens that aren't in this space where they're being impacted by mental health, but instead they're seeing the culture around them, one of the things that really, I believe, will help to keep them safe um, is to be able to take their eyes off themselves and actually see what they can lean into the problems of others. So there's kind of two things that sit side by side in that. And perhaps there's context there too into what you're doing as you get together with others and try to make an impact on the world because we might argue that uh, being involved in a church youth group uh, under the care and oversight of someone who has got uh, an idea about biblical truth and righteousness, that those are the things that help to shape an individual. And that's what this study seems to aim to do too, to help church leaders understand the emerging generation as it's happening around the world and where the Aussie teens sit in all of that. Just a couple of minutes out from news, uh, you've got some special events that are coming up. Uh, give us some insight here, uh, Noddy, into the, the sorts of special events that you want to invite Christian leaders to. Yeah, we're really excited about them, Neil. We've got our first one kicking off in Brisbane on Monday um, and it's from 2 to 4.30. It's, it's, we had... Our, the CEO from uh, from Barna, David Kinnaman, with us, and we're excited to have him. We'll we'll really lean into his insights and in unpacking some of this data, and then we want to be able to play with it. We want to be able to ask exactly the questions you're asking. What does that, what does this mean for us as leaders? What does this mean for us as Christians, as the church? What do we need to be doing? I think the fundamental thing that sits there for me is that when you look at the level of trust of of pastors, leaders, Christian voice within this generation's life, especially in Australia. It's probably at an all-time low, and so that in itself is is devastating in my mind and my heart. Um, and that's one of the things we need to solve. We need to be able to ask ourselves the question: How do we rebuild trust? How do we lean into these spaces? How do we actually come alongside this next generation in a way that's meaningful, powerful, and speaks volumes to them? That we're not just there with words and ideas; we're there with actions. We're there with them, and we're going to actually together believe in a different future. Noddy, beyond Brisbane on Monday, there's some other events. Have you got dates there very quickly? Sydney, Sydney on Wednesday and then Melbourne on Friday. And uh, if you can't beat any of them, we are, we are recording 
the, uh, the event in Melbourne, and we'll try and make that available for anyone that might be interested. And we also have some incredible sprints that we're going to do with Barna, where pastors leaders can sign up and join us for a, a four-week sprint to um, dig at this as well and actually have some time thinking, how do we test and learn off this? So, mate, next week's going to be busy. Monday, Brisbane. Wednesday, Sydney. Melbourne Friday. And Noddy, before we go any further, I've mentioned the top three things that our Australian teens are concerned about, and we have really only gotten to the first one, mental health. I wonder if uh, if we're talking about the top three, what are the top three things concerning young teenagers in Australia? So number two, uh, which, which again, no surprise, is uh, climate change. So uh, it's it's showing us that our young people are, are genuinely concerned with the state of our world and the impact we're having on it and where it's going and, and what needs to be done. And and I think that, uh, you know, as I speak to even some of them personally, um, almost holding us to account of, uh, of where we sit with this and what we're going to do to be part of the solution. And then the third one, which I found was quite surprising, was unemployment. And as I dug through this a little bit more, Neil, I think that part of it is, is around, and this is, a, a, you know, as a father as well of, of, of a young 10-year-old, um, important to kind of take note of the conversations we have in our household. When we start to talk about, you know, where we're going and what's happening in the economy and whether we're struggling and, and you know, houses and jobs and how actually we're going to turn up in the world, when, when we approach that with this real sense of worry about it, I think young people pick up on it really quickly and they start to actually allow that to seep into them. And then the second part to it is that I think when they think about unemployment, they're really also thinking around what is the state of the world going to be when it's their turn to actually join the workforce. Really so significant. They're the top three. Yep, they're the top three. Mm. So, uh, so for listeners, and uh, love to have uh, some listener contribution in here, uh, whether your own teenagers are concerned about these things. Mental health, number one. Second, climate change. And the third, their future employment. Uh, those are the sorts of things that do, in fact, uh, concern a lot of people who are older than teenage years too, I might say. Uh, let's just touch on touch on climate change here for a moment because obviously there's a wedge, there's division, there's polarisation as to what people think about climate change. Putting your own view aside for a moment and recognising that this is number two on the top three things that Australian teens are concerned about really means you have to engage in that issue and understanding what's going on with that. Um, Sometimes it's not easier for uh, parents, for church leaders, if they hold a different view, uh, to be able to engage here. What are your thoughts here, Noddy? But uh, the value of recognising that teens have this as their number two concern. Yeah, you know, I um, I've heard someone talk about this in terms of um, from their from their teens' perspective, and their perspective was exactly how you just caught out now. Regardless of what our opinions may be, um, just listening to a teen's perspective for a moment actually calls this uh, to be viewed at differently. So the teen's perspective was the world's not going to be okay. My future doesn't look bright. What's going to happen? And um, and and when that's the concern that's actually in a young person, how do we go about addressing that? How do we go about actually thinking through this? And, and I mean, look, studies will show us that uh, regardless of what we think about it, um, studies would show that climate has played an incredibly um, powerful role in creating the current famine we see around the world. 
it's it's um and, and we see it all over the place when there's not the right rainfall in the right spaces, deserts appearing, crops not happening, you know, um, weird weather patterns across the globe. We have to ask ourselves, when God created all this to work in perfect harmony, what have we done to upset it? And, and so even from a theological point of view, um, if we go back all the way to think about even the original blessing that God actually had for humanity, that, that he creates us and he creates the world and looks at it and goes, gee, that's good. It's incredible. You know, there is also this thing, amazing moment where we realize that he's created us to be in relationship with him, relationship with each other, and relationship with his created order, his world, this beautiful garden, this place he's placed in, and given us um, custodians, given us dominion and power over it to be able to work it, make it really thrive. And so we have to ask ourselves, <laughs> have we done a good job of that? And and I think when you start to look at it through that lens, it becomes this massive, massive issue. But I think you can um, also get to the point to realise that doing a little bit at a time is actually important and we need to do that and, and keep reassuring this next generation that it's going to be okay. You know, I mean, you can point to all sorts of things that we're moving towards, and I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you uh, interrupt us in a second, Neil. But <laughs> all, right. we, we can do all of that, and then we can also talk about some of the amazing ways that we've seen even World Vision lean into some of this stuff, and some of the incredible things that we've been able to reverse. So, you know, there is this. Um, incredible program run by a guy called Tony Renato from World Vision, amazing man, who um, has spent his lifetime looking at this and thinking in some of the most fragile and hard-to-reach places of how humanity has suffered when we see that the environment has actually just been turning into desert before their very eyes. And he started this um, way that's called Farmer Natural Managed Resourcing. So basically... In, amazing story. If you ever, if you ever have him on, you should definitely do it. Um, he talks about his journey walking through um, some areas of desert in Africa and seeing this little shrub, thinking it was a weed, only to realise at a closer inspection, after months of walking past it, that it was actually a tree. And underneath the ground, he found that there was an existing root system that was sitting there, an underground forest, he called it, where it had all been cleared away, but the roots had never gone anywhere. And these roots were still alive and connected. And what they would do was they would push up a little shrub out through the through through the sand. And farmers would keep thinking it's weeds and keep knock, knocking it off. But with actually being able to actually stem them very slowly, they grow up really quickly. And we have before and after shots of areas that we've worked in where the, the local farmers have been taught this, how to recognise the right trees that's part of this network and how to actually foster that growth. And... It's astronomical what we're seeing as a difference in terms of them producing crop, being able to provide to their family, the way that it alleviates poverty, um, and is regretting the globe. You know, so I, I look at that and think, no, the answers are there. God's really good at being able to actually almost keep some of this stuff hidden at just the right time, let it kind of emerge. And so even that story in itself, finding those stories of hope are the ones that we need to be rehearsing for our next generation that helps them realize that not all is lost that God is still at work, that we there is still a plan, and that we're okay. And we are all encouraged 
to know that there are Christian ministry organisations, and uh, we're talking to you today, Noddy, from World Vision, uh, that has some practical response. It's not just a protest on the street, but there's a practical response to real issues. Now, uh, the interesting thing here around climate change, and I think when you get a little bit older, you can start to sort through the fact that there is a real problem with uh, what is called climate change, uh, but separating that from the political alarmism that causes you to become an activist for all sorts of weird and uh, wonderful reasons, in in the sense here, uh, when you're actually approaching your teenagers, I'll get your thoughts here, but uh, not necessarily validating what might be a progressive climate change alarmism, uh, but actually then working together with teenagers so that they can make sense of how they can really get involved with real solutions. Is that a valid way of talking to your teenager, do you think, around their concerns? Yeah, I, I think it is, Neil. I, for the last eight months, I've reflected on some of this and thinking through what does the future look like. I, I was drawn into this and reminded of this amazing passage found in Deuteronomy. You know that moment in time where, uh, where God's people are just about to take the promised land and, and God comes to them and says, hey, before I let you go, just let me remind you, you're about to inhabit lands you didn't take. You know, it wasn't your doing. You're about to live in houses you didn't build. You're about to, to drink from wells that you didn't dig, eat from vines you didn't plant. You know, and, and he says this amazing thing. He just says, hey, just, just remember who I am. Just remember I did this. Don't, don't for a second let yourself think that this is by your doing. This is by mine. And then he goes on to say, hey, keep rehearsing this narrative. Keep bringing this with, with your kids, you know, when you're eating, when you're sleeping, when you're working. Keep talking about it. Keep rehearsing the story. And, you know, it's in that that I think um, lies almost this, uh, this way in which we are being invited to live. I don't think that's changed. I think we, we too easily can forget that God is at work, that there are things going on and, and hopeful, amazing stories of narratives being built. And I think if we really want to approach this next generation in a helpful way, it's almost um, reigniting that passion to keep telling those God moments, those God stories, where his fingerprints are already at work, being able to undust them, uncover them, and draw them out in a meaningful way that actually does bring hope, a sense of excitement, anticipation that, that there is a future and it's bright, and it's one that we can start to dream about and reimagine, not one where we're constantly looking backwards and talking about how wonderful it used to be. And I think it's in that kind of realignment, readjusting of even our own stories to our kids, our teenagers, that we will start to see something really exciting emerge. And when you are talking about how you might engage with the real challenges that come with climate change, uh, the Christian believer, of course, as we say, we're stewards of the environment. Uh, God has given to us dominion. So there's a stewardship that we have. So what's the practical way that the Christian church has already got functioning uh, insofar as alleviating those challenging drought conditions and famine and those sorts of things that you were mentioning there. That's got to be a really better place to start than uh, waving a placard on the street. Hey, we could get into that and we could continue that conversation almost endlessly. But Noddy, the third big challenge that teenagers have identified, you mentioned, is their future jobs, future employment possibilities. Uh, how deeply does this cut uh, for the, uh, you know, the, the, the concerns of teenagers, do you think? Yeah, I think what lies underneath it is this idea that we want to make sure that our lives count. 
So you could look at it in isolation, Neil, but I think it's all connected. It's back connected with the, with the mental health. It's back t- connected to what's the state of our world that we're currently in. Because ultimately, if someone wants to feel like your life matters, that you have influence agency, that you have a platform to be able to do something of worth, that you can look back and think, yep, I, I lived well, um, you need to make sure that you can find your place in society to be able to do that. And I think um, it, it is almost like a circular argument that the, re- the reason it's such a worry for them is because I think it comes back to that mental health. Like if, they, if they're not well mentally, if they can't actually do it, then can they actually make a difference? And if the world's not in a great place, can they, will they even have a world to be able to try and make a difference in? And, and so you can kind of see it spiralling down a little bit. And I think that's where those connection pieces happen. And I think what it does to, or for, for me anyway, it makes me feel like even for my little boy, I, w- I want to make sure that I hold all these things in tension and keep speaking about the, the goodness that's actually in front of us, the opportunity that exists to make a difference, the fact that your agency and your influence isn't about you know, a, a platform on social media, but it's actually through um, a really healthy lens of relationship. And relationship, real-life relationship in person that's able to actually be kind, be compassionate, practice these things that build resilience and this togetherness that enables us to do something of worth collecting others along the way. I kind of feel like that's what Jesus did. He was always drawing the circles bigger. He was always inviting more people into his sphere as he orbited. And and that's the thing that I think we, we need to be able to keep explaining. I mean, if we think about even the way that jobs have changed over the generations, right, and it always matches almost that industry, that sense of as you make connection, as your life becomes bigger, as there's more relationships in play, more and more needs are start to see and start to feel, uh, are felt, and then we're able to actually accomplish those things. You know, so I, I think it's actually around how we navigate our way through meaningful conversations with our young people that just reassures them that it's going to be okay, and you do this through relationship. We might all feel a little unsettled uh, with changes that come, uh, global influences on our Australian economy, even the change that's coming to what the workforce might look like with artificial intelligence as it brings major change for our future. So if uh, adults are concerned about those things, how much more teenagers, and this might be as we're talking about those things that keep our teenagers up at night, uh, causing levels of anxiety, uh, challenges to uh, their mental health uh, on these things, those sorts of things are challenging. Uh, Let me come back to, because we're running out of time now, Noddy. And uh, (laughs) I love the way uh, that you're able to articulate so beautifully that there are solutions, and these solutions are, in fact, generated uh, within the broader body of Christ, uh, that there are some things that, even though you might see that there are all sorts of uh, progressive activists doing all sorts of things, that the church itself, in all of its different mission forms, has ways to actually uh, encounter and influence the outcomes that happen for people whose lives are less uh, less uh, generously blessed in that sense of of, of a uh, you know a monetary uh, materialism that what we have here in Australia. Let me just bring this back to something you mentioned a little earlier in our conversation: the forty-hour mm. famine. And this conversation wasn't designed to be a big promotion for the forty-hour famine, but you said World Vision's bringing this back. There is a time in our history when there has been a real positive peer pressure around the 40-hour famine. 
have you done the famine yet? And everyone, whether they were in church or outside of church, was encouraged to do the 40-hour famine. And uh, there was a real uptake uh, from teenagers and young people all across uh, the nation. Give us your insight just into how powerful it can be when you've got a, a cause with some peer pressure that can be applied that really makes the difference for teenagers. Yeah, absolutely right, Neil. It's it's incredibly powerful, you know, um, that sense of peer pressure. In fact, we were just digging through some archives the, the other other week and we came across um, a, a bunch of old newspapers that were probably about 40 years ago um, when the 40-hour famine was, was just across the nation. And this article, which I laughed at, it was amazing. They actually went and they were interviewing every premier of the state, um, making sure they were doing the 40-hour famine. And one of the premiers, I think, I believe it was uh, the Western Australian premier at the time, wasn't able to do it. And the reporters had a field day asking the question of why aren't you doing it? And they had to come up with a reason of why they weren't and then promised that they would do it at a particular date um, in order to be able to be aligned with where the nation was going. And, and so you're quite right. Right there is a great example of almost that peer pressure of everyone leaning into it and doing it together. That expectation was there. But you know what else it did was it wasn't just a negative view of peer pressure. Instead, it was a real positive one of when we do this together, we can actually tackle something that is so much bigger than ourselves and make a positive dent in it. And, and it, not only does it do something really good for someone we may never meet and solving an issue, but it actually does something really, really incredibly powerful to our own sense of worth, identity, and who we are as a nation. And, and you know, I, I just look at that and think, there is something in that that needs to be recaptured for this next generation, for us as Australians. There's something in that that, that actually is so powerful that we could do it and change the way in which we're going. Uh, let, let, me, let me say this. I know we're running out of time, Neil. So let, let me say this. One of the things that I've been thinking through the other day, and, and I, I've had this conversation widely, is that from the church's perspective, we can look at all the data and we can look at all the way that... that the minister's voice is probably at an all-time low in terms of trust, and, and young people aren't really looking at Jesus, and the Bible isn't having the impact that we once thought that it should or that we hope and we know that it can. However, the one place that we're allowed to actually turn up in society, in fact, expected in society to actually play our part, is for the church to rock up and be kind, to do good. And, you know, it's not... You mentioned a couple of times today. It's not, it's not the, the justice lens of placard, you know, angry, waving finishing on the wrong side of the conversation, standing on our, our theology or, or being dogmatic. No, it, it's actually being able to turn up and love, which at its core is what Jesus' message was. And, and can you imagine what Australia could do if we had this force of love, almost a peer pressure of love and kindness that turned up in some of the world's biggest problems and had a voice and was about kindness, compassion, mercy, and did something about it? I mean, isn't that what we want for our young people in our church to be known for? You know, as you reflect on that love, uh, the love of Christ, uh, experiencing that love and letting that love flow through us. And uh, look, there's a big dimension in here that we won't, we won't be able to go through. But you know what? That's the message that actually triggered the big revival that's happened in Asbury University in the United States right now, young people mm. appreciating that love. And uh, I'm not going to ask you your uh, impression of all of that. It's not what we're actually here to talk about today, Noddy, but 
that message itself is such a uniting message and it is an inspirational message and it it just spurs us on to uh, Christ likeness and to follow on from you know Jesus said just as I've been sent so um you know so, so send I you uh, there's something in the love that you're talking about hey those three gatherings uh, for listeners who want to participate in those perhaps pass a message on to the leaders in your church uh, to be a part mm-hmm. of what is coming uh, world vision is coordinating these meetings the first one is on in brisbane this coming monday then there's one on on the wednesday in sydney and then on the friday in melbourne and then there's the sprint that you were talking about and just uh, uh, as i'll give the website in just a moment but this sprint I think you said it was across something like four weeks, so people can participate yeah. in that, unpacking some of the, uh, the the findings of this research and applying them. Uh, just give us an, a quick uh, little burst on that sprint. How does that work? So four-week online sprint for anyone that really works with young people and wants to be able to test and learn how we might be able to turn up differently with them. So it's, uh, it's conducted by World Vision and Barna, we will have experts in the room that will talk about these things, and our hope is that over that four weeks we'll learn from one another and we'll come up with some creative ideas of what we can try in a test and learn space, and we're going to come back and share that as we go. So when you see that advertised, if you jump on the website and find it, I want to encourage you, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you're a chaplain, if you're a school teacher, even if you're an interested parent, um, rock up. We'd love to actually have you with us. I was saying, Neil, before that this is the start of the conversation. You know, often we can look at data and we can think to ourselves, oh, this is interesting. But my my real hope, my heart for this is that what we see is that we actually go into a real deep and long conversation to get at the real heart of how we, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as the church, as society, can turn up and unleash our young people to change the world. Well, no need to wait till you see it advertised. Here is the World Vision website address worldvision.com.au worldvision.com.au we've been talking about this new research Uh, you'll find some details there somewhere I guess on the site worldvision.com.au the Reverend Noddy Sharma Head of Community Faith and Partnerships for World Vision Australia Noddy thanks so much for sharing your heart with us today on 2020 thanks so much for having me Neil really appreciate it Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.